Hashem, Hashem, Naseh, Venatzliach, Shil Torah, Baruch Hashem. Another week in Aventura, we guys got a nice preview right before the Shil of uh, five minutes in my life. Shrechem, you got a preview that most people don't see. This is every day, all day, all the time. Please don't read a magazine during the Shil, it's not Kabod La Torah. Um, and... Uh, the key is to continue with our shiur and actually our uh, our series and actually start reflecting on each shiur and start evaluating where you stand. Because if you've been here for at least 10 or 15 shiurim and nothing has changed, I may suggest that you either change or stop coming. You either change or you stop coming. And the reason why is because this is not a movie. This is not for your entertainment. This is for you, your tshuva. This is for my tshuva. And unfortunately, in today's world, we have a lot of people that believe that they're doing tshuva. 20 years they go into lectures, and they still don't have a kippah on a regular basis. 20 years, thank you, it's going 20 years they go into lectures, but they still don't know what an Eruv is. But they feel that they're religious. Went to the Knesset a few weeks ago, and uh, on Shabbat, and uh, on the way out, this woman was visiting somebody, was visiting, I guess, her daughter, and she said, Hello, sir, sir. And yes, got my attention. She said, are you going to the Knesset? This early in the morning, where else am I going to go to? But yeah, yeah, I'm going to the Knesset. And uh, she said, can I come? She said, sure, why not? She looked somewhat religious, older woman. No kisui rosh, but uh, at least she covered herself. I said, sure, why not? So she started walking next to me, and you know, to, to be nice, you have to introduce yourself. So I said, hi, I'm uh, Yaron Ruven. And she says, oh, before she even says her name. She goes, oh, you're Baal Tshuva, huh? Ruach Kodesh, Prophecy. Something I never heard of, maybe. Just me saying my name. I mean, as far as looks, I mean, I got the whole, I got the uniform. I got the beard, I got the suit. What's wrong? So I said, now, oh, uh, how does my name, or how do you know I'm a Baal Tshuva? Not that I care, but Hashem, Baal Tshuva, if Alvaya can become Baal Tshuva. I'm just trying to figure out, like, how would you know? I want to know, I, I want to know this trick. Where'd you get this prophecy? I want to buy it. So he said, oh, from your name. So how, well, what's wrong with my name? He said, oh, Yaron, Yaron, usually religious people, uh, they call their children something else, Yaakov, Yitzchak, Avram. I said, oh, okay, all right, so, so okay, it's interesting, it's an interesting, uh, Analysis that you made a sin reminding a Baal Tshuva that he's a Baal Tshuva, but you think it's a mitzvah to do it because you want to show your skills of knowing religious people's names. Good for you. I said, okay. I didn't say nothing to her, obviously. I said, okay. And uh, walked a little while longer, and then we got the, the, where I lived. It's, uh, the roof ends in a very unusual way. It ends like right before you cross the street. So we got to the roof. And she was carrying a little bag with something in it. I thought, oh, ma'am, uh, don't walk past that line. 
it's, uh, that's where the Eruv ends. And she just continues walking, like past the line. And I said, no, no, ma'am, there's the Eruv ends over here. She goes, what? what's that? What is that? What is this Eruv thing? What is the Eruv? I said, you know, the Taltel, you're not allowed to carry on Shabbat. She goes, why not? So, I'm the Baal Tshuva. 25, 30, 40, 50 years she's been going to the lecture. She doesn't know what an Eruv is. She doesn't know she's not allowed to carry on Shabbat. Why? No one ever told her. It's not her fault. No one ever told her. You know what's her fault? She didn't look up the information. Her fault is she didn't look up the truth. That's her fault. The fact that the teachers never told her, that's their fault. The fact that she didn't look it up on her own, that's her fault. That's what she's judged for. And the thing is, Rabotai, is that the Rambam says that before the Mashiach comes, there's going to be 15 days of darkness. And all of the people that have not done tshuva will be eliminated at that time. Just like there was three days of darkness in Egypt, there will be 15 days of darkness before Mashiach comes. But he says that anyone that survives is going to do tshuva. Meaning is someone that's done tshuva. So the question is, which one of us is going to actually do tshuva? If we can't rely on the teachers telling us everything we need to know these days, because sometimes they're scared to say certain things, like Mechalel Shabbat Mot Yumat is very scary for people to say. That a Mechalel Shabbat gets a death penalty, has no share of the world to come, that Judaism is on suspension, you cannot count them in Minyan. If they say Kaddish, you're not allowed to say Amen. This is not stuff that people like to say, even though it's Alakha. They don't like to say it. So that means that many of the teachers today, you cannot really rely on them giving you full knowledge, full information. So how can we help ourselves? Now if you say, oh, I'll learn it. I'll learn it. I'll learn all the halachot. I'll learn all the halachot. If you go and you take the Shulchan Aruch, or even if you take a shorter, easier version like Yalkut Yosef, if you're Sephardic, you see it's a lot of books. It's a lot of books to learn, so you can't learn it overnight. What are you going to do until then? What are you going to make sins? What are you going to do until then? It'll take you a year, two years, three years to learn. It's going to take you a while. Even if you're a fast reader, even if you study a lot, it's going to take you a while. And even if you learn all of it, it doesn't mean you're going to remember all of it. So there's a lot of things you're going to do, just read, 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 and you forget. Everybody here, anybody here remember everything they read? You're going to forget some things. You're going to make some sins. So what are you going to do? Rambam says Mashiach's coming, no? What are we going to do? It's a problem. It's a very big problem. On Sunday, someone came up to, came up to me. And he said to me, listen, I don't know what to do. I said, what? I said, I don't know. There's tshuva. I've been doing tshuva for a few years. I still don't know everything. Mashiach comes up, comes tomorrow, I'm doomed. I said, why? You're still Mechalel Shabbat? He said, no, chas v'shalom. He said, Avode, Oved Avodah Zara, you worship idols? No, chas v'shalom. I said, Baruch Hashem, last I uh, saw your wife is modest, that uh, I look, but you see somebody that's uh, modest. So what's the problem? Because I still don't know everything. There's still some things. I haven't finished. You know, I, if I, if I know it, but I still am making sins. I say, you do it on purpose? He goes, No. It's just that I can't get myself to do this the right way. I said, if it's not on purpose, then you're okay. 
then it's not mezid. Then it's not pesha. When we say chatanu, avinu, pashanu, you're talking about three different types of sins. Chatanu means you made a sin because you didn't know that it was even a sin. You didn't learn anything. You sat there and played poker all day. Sat there and you uh, played on the computer video games. Some people play five, six, seven hours a day video games. You know that? Five, six, seven hours video games. Grown men. Talk about not uh, six, 16-year-old kids. Grown men in their 30s. Spending five, six hours playing video games. They go up to Shemayim and say, Oh, how come you didn't know all Allah Shabbat? I was busy playing video games. Oh, yeah, that's going to help you. That's going to help you in the case up there. Yeah, definitely going to help you. Yeah, I was shooting the guy. He was cursing me out from there. I was talking to him on the headphones. And I wanted to beat the game. I said, Oh, you beat the game though, right? Yeah, I beat the game. Okay, now you go get an Umrah. Why? Because you beat the game. You spent all the time beating the game. He didn't know the Lord Torah. So Chatanu means I didn't know, but it's not necessarily that good, but it's still, you're not in deep trouble. A little bit worse, Avinu. Avinu means you knew it was a sin, but you still did it anyway. Why? You know, Te'avon. Te'avon means appetite. You like the sin too much. That's all of us. That's all of us have certain sins that we just can't, we just, we like it too much. We like it too much. We don't have enough Yirat Shamayim. We still want to do it. We still want to do it. Sometimes it's eating too much. Not allowed to eat too much. It's good to eat. You have to eat to live. But eating too much, not allowed. I know some tzaddik, rabbi, tzaddik. But he tells himself, that's his sin. He eats too much. Tzaddik though. Everything else learns all day, all night, everything tzaddik. But he eats too much. That's his sin. Al-Vayalim, that's our sin only. But still, some people, it's other things. Other things that they're sin. They know it's a sin, but they, it's ta'avon. For women, usually it's modesty. The problem with modesty is that it's not a sin for yourself only. It's a sin that you're causing other people to sin, which we'll talk about a little later. But aside from that, all of us have certain things we haven't fixed yet. Working in our midot is the most difficult all of us have certain midot that we are predispositioned to have. It's our natural inclination and we know it's wrong, but we still haven't done zilch about it. Guy is angry. He knows he's not allowed to be angry. Why? We've said it a thousand times in the lectures that in Gemara uh, Masechet Shabbat and several other places in the Torah, it says that anger is considered avodah zarah. It's considered idolatry. And we went into the details of why and who and when. But it's not so easy to stop being angry. People are annoying. Life is annoying. Problems are annoying. They get you angry. So? But if you're angry on purpose, it's a different story. If you're not angry, you know it's you're not allowed, but you still haven't fixed it yet. It's a different story. So if you're making a sin, if you're making a sin... You know it's a sin, but you just haven't fixed it yet. It's not good, but it's not the worst. You're still okay. You're still, you're still in good shape. You're still in good shape. Why? Because you haven't gone to the worst level. What's the worst level? Pashanu. What's Pashanu? Pashanu is that you're making a sin like this Rasha Merusha Yaron Yarden. There's an evil guy in Israel who was passed up a job 
used to be religious, was so-called a rabbi according to him, and he was supposed he wanted to get a position in a uh, yeshiva to be a rosh kolel, rosh kolel, and they said he's not qualified for the job. They gave it to somebody else. So instead of learning and toiling and becoming better and getting the like a normal human being, we'll say, okay, I didn't get the job now. But if I work harder, maybe I'll get a better job. Maybe I'll get this job. I'll get something else. No, just become a sore loser. But he did. What did he do? He decided, ah, the heck with all of it. What am I going to do? I'm going to take off the hat, take off the keeper, take off the beer, take off everything, and spend the rest of my life getting people to become not religious, anti-God, atheists. And he started a whole organization to make people atheists, anti-religion. But anti-religion with like, well, much like hating it, abusing it, insulting it. And he has donors, uh, more donors than he knows what to do with. Why? The Satan has a lot of money. And he has spent day after day trying to do this. And unfortunately, not everybody is educated enough to know that all of what he says is stupid and nonsense. Because it sounds like he says the truth, because there's a little bit of truth in everything that he says, because he says the Makor. He says, oh, in this Gemara, it says such and such. He's right, it says such and such. But he's manipulating the truth to make, to fit his cause, to make the Torah sound illegitimate, to make the Torah sound ridiculous, and so on and so forth. And fools that don't know how they're supposed to look at the commentators from 900 years ago and not the idiot next to them, say, oh, wow, look, there's a problem. He made a little short movie once. He says, look, there is these Kiruv rabbis make uh, lectures about saying there's proof, scientific proofs in the Torah that uh, there's never going to be a fish with scales and no fins. If it has scales, it has to have fins. But if it has fins, it doesn't have to have scales. It's one of the proofs that the Torah is divine and that it was given by God because there's no way that a human being would know that all of the fish in the world in the history of mankind will always have, if they have fins, they'll always have, they'll, if they have scales, they'll always have fins. So that's one of the proofs. We've said it in our Torah and science lecture. Rabbi Zrache has used it. Rabbi Zemir Kohen has used it. Many, many others have used it. It's a proof. It's a fantastic proof. So he made a short movie. He says, look, and he shows a uh, visual of a lizard or iguana. It's like, look, it has scales but no fins. And a fool that doesn't pay attention to what the rabbis and the Gemara said, that we're talking about a fish, not someone that dips into the water to take a shower or go hunting. But they didn't pay attention. So what happens? So people would send you an email. Oh, look, he uh, said uh, there's never going to be a fish and there's a problem with the proof. No, there's a problem with your brain. You didn't pay attention. But this guy is a mikzoan. He's, he's a professional manipulator. He's a professional manipulator. So he falls in the third. What's the third? Pashanu. What's Pashanu? Pashanu is you're making a sin to make God angry. Yedafka trying to do it to make God angry. Baruch Hashem, I don't think anyone in this room is like that. So that means that all of us, Baruch Hashem, are in good shape if we continue doing tshuva and we lessen our avonot to the least amount of humanly possible and increase our mitzvot. But still, the fact that we have some avonot is a problem. The fact that we have some things that we haven't learned is a problem. 
So what's the cure until we know everything and we're perfect human beings? You can't say Mashiach comes. Mashiach comes, time's up. So tonight's Mishnah is the get-out-of-jail-free card. Remember I told you guys there's no get-out-of-jail-free card? Well, there is one, actually. It's just that this get-out-of-jail-free card is very, very expensive. It's extremely expensive. It's not really free. But you can get out of jail because of it. And it's called Kiruv. And we'll learn why it actually means this. So the Mishnah in Avot 5.21 says the following. Translation. Whoever influences the masses to become meritorious, meaning to do tshuva, shall not be the cause of sin. We'll elaborate momentarily. But one who influences the masses to sin will not be given the means to do tshuva. Moshe was meritorious and influenced the masses to be meritorious. Meaning he did tshuva and he caused other people to do tshuva. So the merit of the masses was to his credit. As it is written in Deuteronomy 33.21, carrying out God's justice and His ordinances with Israel. With Israel meaning that because they did some, they uh, did tshuva, they kept the mitzvot, in essence, he's also doing it with them, even if he's not present. Yerovam ben Nevat sinned and caused the masses to sin. So the sin of the masses is charged against him. As it is said in Kings 1, 15, 30, for the sins of Yerovam that he committed and that he caused Israel to commit. So here you see it's a long Mishnah, a couple of psukim that they use as a um, as proofs. I think it's going to be probably a couple of lectures, shiu, at least two, because there's a lot of information here in order for us to understand Number one, what to do. How do we do the right thing? Number two, what not to do. How do we avoid the wrong thing? Meaning, to do kiruv, all of you know it's a good thing to do. You've been to enough lectures that, or you've heard enough of my lectures to know you're supposed to do it. But still, there are enough people in the room and out of the room that are watching online and so on that still don't do it. You agree with it. You like it. You think it's fantastic. But you're still not doing it. You know the steak is delicious, but you're leaving it to, for show. You're leaving it for that. You know the opportunity is fantastic, but it's like, nah, it's not for me. Why not? It's a good opportunity. Yeah, yeah, I just uh, like my desk job. Yeah, but you can get a job over there, make a million dollars a minute. Yeah, no, it's good, it's good. Just, I really like my desk. Buy the desk, buy a new desk, $60. Yeah, but I like this one. Okay, so take it, give them a hundred, they'll give you the desk. Oh, I don't know. Like one of those people, like you know that you know it's better over there, but you still it's it's just Yitzhara is keeping us in. It's keeping us in. So second thing is to understand the opportunity. 
Understand the opportunity because when you understand the price, everything changes, as we've discussed many times before. When you understand the price, whether it's the price of the sin, the cost of the sin, of how expensive it is to sin, or the price of the mitzvah, how beneficial it is to do it, everything changes. Because in the grand scheme of things, if we use our logic, it seems like everything is the same. Well, there's certain things that are bigger than others, but there's not much that we can do about it. Like, for example, everybody knows that Shabbat is very important. Everybody knows Shabbat is very important. But that's the people that keep Shabbat. People that keep Shabbat know it's extremely important, so they're willing. By the way, whoever knows how to turn on the uh, air conditioner so we don't melt, please do. Make a mitzvah. Um, I think it's like 900 degrees here. So the volcano in Hawaii just texted me, said, you guys are hotter than us. Um, no? That? Okay, so we don't melt. We don't melt. Okay. Oh. So, a person that knows that the value of uh, of Shabbat, keep Shabbat, value of Shabbat, says, okay, good. So, I mean, I keep Shabbat. How can I do it any better? I'm keeping Shabbat. I'm not lighting fire. I'm not uh, playing with money. I'm not uh, driving. Okay, so what's, that's it. I'm done, right? Keep Shabbat. No, there's more to it. There's something called Onik Shabbat. The Gemara Masechet Shabbat discusses different ways that you can actually make your Shabbat holier than holy. Even with the food you eat. What if you're poor? What if you have any extra money to make special food, you know, 18 different dishes and salads and everything? What happens? Well, you're poor. So what, you can't commit this mitzvah? No such thing. It says, even if you're poor, but you spend even an extra penny that you don't even have, you barely have anything, you spend an extra penny, an extra dollar, to get one extra fish that you wouldn't ordinarily eat, that's Onik Shabbat. That is you understanding that Hashem runs the world and you're spending money on Shabbat without looking at the prices. Without looking at the prices. Why? Because you know Hashem gives Parnassah. But if you're looking at the price, oh, this chal is $4? No, no, I'm going to get the one next door that's three fifty. Then you're missing the point. If you're, looking at, if you're looking at prices when you shop for Shabbat, you're missing the point. Why? Because if you're looking at prices, if you're trying to save money, Trying to cut corners for Shabbat, that means you are missing. You, you know what Shabbat is as far as that you're not allowed to do certain things. But you haven't graduated yet to the next level of understanding Onik Shabbat. Onik Shabbat is making Shabbat enjoyable. But not Shabbat enjoyable because it's going to make your stomach a little bit bigger. Shabbat enjoyable meaning that you're giving the Shabbat kavod because Hashem said so. You're making that extra cake, not because your husband likes it, but because it gives kavod to the Shabbat. You're putting extra ingredients into the uh, into the uh, chamin, into the chicken, into the meat. And not because your good that your husband likes it, good that the wife's like, good that the neighbors. Oh, it's good that all they all like it. But that's not the reason. The reason is because you're making it that much more delicious for the honor of Shabbat. That takes your Shabbat from where it is to different planet. That's onik Shabbat. It's things that seem like they're minute, minute. But a lot of people don't do it. Why? 
because they think that just by not driving, it's enough. Just by not smoking, it's enough. Just by not praying with my phone, it's already kaparat avonot for half the population. Not playing with the phone on, the, on Shabbat. You tell somebody, listen, uh, Shabbat, keep Shabbat. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Driving, I don't need to drive. I don't drive anyway. I don't even have a license. They took it. Oh, okay, good. Oh, it's half the battle, no? Uh, computer. Oh, computer. Okay, okay, I can do computer. I can do computer. Oh, I can't uh, smoke cigarettes. Oh, cigarettes. The whole Shabbat, those? no cigarettes. Okay, fine, fine, fine. And you tell them the list, the list, the list, the list. And you never think about it until the last second. Half hour, you're trying to convince the guy to keep Shabbat. Everything's good, good, good. Check, 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 check. And last one, last thing you say, oh, give me your number. Oh, wait, oh, by the way, almost forgot. Also, no phone. They look at you like you have 16 heads, like you're a dragon from the movies. It's like, what do you mean no phone? What am I supposed to do? How am I going to talk to my friends? How am I going to talk to Facebook? How am I going to check my sports? How am I going to check my stocks? The stock market's closed. Yeah, but maybe after hours. How am I do? No, no, that's the point. You're supposed to shut off the mundane. And all of a sudden, the conversation changed. Why? We are so addicted to our phones, we forget that there's people. You know, the phone was invented to improve communication. Yet this generation has the worst communication skills in the history of man. You ask people, listen, can you do me a favor? Can you call my client and tell him uh, such and such? Oh, oh, can I text him? No, I don't want you to text him. Call the client. Can I email him? No. No, don't email him. I want you to call him and speak to him. Oh, what do I say? Can you write it down for me? Say, hi, my name is Stephen. I work for your own. And he does, like, well, I don't understand. Well, you don't know how to speak? No, people don't know how to speak. They simply don't know how to speak. Did you talk to your husband today? Yeah, I text him. No, no, did you talk to him? Yeah, I text him. I text my husband. When, did you, when, when would you text him? Yeah, I text him like 18 times. When was the last, no, no, when was the last time you spoke to him? Oh, like two days ago. When you speak, speak, you see, you speak, words. Nothing. Parent-teacher conferences are probably going to become text messages soon. How's my son doing? He passed. Okay, good. Smiley face, check. Smiley face. LOL. <laughs> we, we don't even write the words anymore. I'm a victim to this. I'm also a violent. I'm also a criminal. I also write LOL. What do you think? I'm innocent. I'm giving the lecture to myself. I'm also a criminal. But that's it, Rabotai. We don't know how to speak. We do not know how to speak to people. We don't know how to communicate. When was the last time you went to a dinner? Went to a dinner with the most important people in your life, your family. If they're not the most important people in your life, you should change your family. Or change you. Something's wrong. Your family's supposed to be the most important people in your life. Last time you went to a dinner, your husband, your wife, your kids, and no one had their phone out. Right now, everybody's calculating the calendar. 1987, 1980, that was the market crash. Yeah, nobody wanted to check the market. Oh, wait, there was no smartphone. Yeah, 1987, for Like, everybody's acting, when did they invent the phone? Why? Because since you've had a phone in your hand, you can't let it go. It's either for entertainment, or it's for business, or it's for in-between, or you're lying to yourself that it's for business, but it's really entertainment. No, I'm checking this, and I'm checking this, and I'm checking the email, and I'm checking that. 
Even if you got the email, they can't wait eight minutes. You checked your phone eight minutes ago. They can't wait. You have to. Re- that's it. That's us. We've lost our communication skills by using a communications tool. That's the Yitzah. That's the Malach Mavit. That's the Satan himself. That's going to hurt us. We have to know how to turn all of these devices off at some point. I'm not telling you you can't use them because we live in modern society where some of these tools are necessary for business. If you're obviously using this stuff for nonsense, then of course it's not allowed. You don't need me to tell you that it's not allowed to look at your phone for at girls or at porn or at sports or at anything that's not necessary in your life. You're not allowed. You don't need me to tell you that. If you need me to tell you that, we need a different shield. You know you're not allowed to use this stuff. Not the phone, not the computer, and not even a, a magazine. You're not allowed to use it. I'm talking about if it's something that you need for your business, for your life, and so on. Fine. But there's a time and a place for everything. If you don't know when to put the stop on some of these things, then this is actually has to be part of your tshuva. This has to be part of your tshuva, but it's not only tshuva for the sake of your neshama. It's tshuva for the sake of your life and the life of the people that you care about. Because when your kid has real problems, when your husband has real problems, when your wife has real problems, they're not really going to communicate all of it on a text message. Your wife doesn't want to hear I love you via text message. Yes, it's nice until you say I really love you. It's nice to hold you over like during the day. Show you care. Fine, it's nice. To show you it's fine, it's nice. Until you do it when you like see them. But if you never do it when you see them, then that I love you means nothing. The same thing is when you ask somebody, how are you doing? It's like if the answer is fine, that simply means they don't want to talk about it. But they're hoping you're going to ask it in person too. We are people. We need to communicate. That's part of our tshuva. Also, you should know for business purposes, the clients you're going to lose first in business are the ones that you have a digital relationship with. Again, the clients you will lose first when things go wrong, because they eventually do, life happens, the policy doesn't cover something they thought it does, the stock goes down, the car crashes, whatever, something happens in the business. Business happens. Anyone that thinks that everything's going to go fine for their whole career simply hasn't been in business for long enough. When something happens that you didn't really want to happen, and you didn't expect to happen, the client that will leave first will be the one that you have a digital relationship with. Which means that most of the companies today, the next, anytime they have a crisis, you see that the weakest, the weakest links break first. The companies that have the softest relationships, they break first, they declare bankruptcy. Their earnings go to nothing right away. That's unfortunately the majority of corporate America today. And that's why the next crisis that will happen will be much, much worse than the last one. Because no one has real clients anymore. People have 
accounts. People have accounts with numbers. No one actually has clients. Clients are few and far in between. But the client you actually send a handwritten letter to, the client that you call once in a while, the client that you meet once in a while, that client will stick around most likely. Why? He knows you. You're a person. You spoke to him. Not necessarily always. Sometimes they're just criminals. And they want to sue you because something went wrong even though it's not your fault. But nonetheless, most of the time, those clients will stick around. Because you actually have a relationship. The point is, Abotai, is that communication is part of the things that we have to do tshuva for. We have to do it. Now, this is a necessary skill in order for, for us to do kiruv. Now, you don't necessarily have to be a speaker. You don't necessarily have to give lectures. You don't even necessarily have to have long conversations with people. But what I mean by communication is that you at least need to acknowledge what's wrong with this person. Why are they so far from God? If you're doing it to people specific, if you're doing it to the masses, like what we're trying to do, then it's a different story. Then you just mass mail everybody, send a mass uh, text, and uh, hope for the best. But I'm talking about if you're trying to get the people in your life, your friends, your family, or so on, your, your neighbors and so on, you want, you're trying to help them. Over time, try to figure out what's wrong. Communicate with them. Why are they anti-God? Why do they believe they're not anti-God? You have to communicate. It cannot be purely digital. Sometimes, it's most of the time, it's because of a single bad experience. They saw a guy that looks religious in a strip club. And they decided, ah, religious is not for me. Okay, but he's not Moshe Rabbeinu. He's just a guy that has a beer with a hat. That was my excuse, by the way. My excuse was that I saw a couple of religious guys sin, and I thought, ah, if that's religion, I don't want to be religious. And that excuse kept me away from religion for a decade and a half. Why? I saw a bunch of religious people in different places, in a casino, in a this club, in a that club, in a this place, in a that place, in, in business, and so on. I saw a bunch of them doing the wrong thing. I said, ah, if that's religion, I don't want to be religious. I'm a better person than they are. I don't do those things. So why should I be them? It's supposed to be an upgrade. If it's not an upgrade, why should I do it? But that's because I knew nothing about Judaism. I knew nothing about Torah. So, sometimes people have a bad experience and they judge Hashem because of the bad experience. You're only going to know that if you communicate with them. On the other hand, sometimes they're just clueless. They've had a few questions. They asked a few people sometimes and no one had the answer. And since they don't have an answer, they figure that no one has the answer. They asked the rabbi if there's dinosaurs in the Torah. The, the rabbi didn't know that Taninim Gdolim means dinosaurs in Parashat Bereshit. He didn't know. So he says, I don't think so. Ignorantly, he says, I don't think so. So he says, ah, oh, see, there's something wrong with the Torah. Oh, I'm not religious. Sometimes it's just ignorance. You're not going to know that unless you communicate with them. You have to ask him, why? Why are you away from Hashem? Now, why should you do all of this? Why? Because you care? Everybody cares. Everybody says they care. I know I get this, uh, somebody emails me at least once a week, telling me, why are, you, why are you yelling at people all the time? Shouldn't you love everyone? 
כל ישראל הערבים זה לזה, shouldn't you love everyone? Why are you yelling? Why are you yelling? I'm not yelling, just my voice is very loud. But the thing is though is that everyone says they care. But how do we prove we really do? So, the first part is to understand the price. The price of doing Kiruv. Why should you do it? The Mishnah here begins by saying, anyone that does Kiruv, kol hamezakeh tarabim, en chet baal yado. Whoever influences the masses to become meritorious shall not be the cause of sin. So the Rambam says, one who seeks to direct others to the path of righteousness by teaching them Torah, or by bringing them to Torah, either by sharing a lecture, through email, or through Facebook, or by CD, or whatever it is, or even by supporting it financially, inculcating them with the fear of God, or influence them to perform a commandments, will be kept from sinning himself. So first and foremost, we see the Rambam posek la'alachan, something extraordinary. Rambam says, you're not going to know all the mitzvot right away yourself. You're not going to know all of them. Why? It takes time to learn them. And even more time to remember all of them. So how are you going to keep yourself away from sinning? The Rambam says there's a cure, there's a get-out-of-jail-free card, and it's called Kiruv. How? If you get other people to do tshuva, you get other people to learn Torah, you get other people to fulfill mitzvot on a regular basis, not once in a blue moon. You know, once a month you tell somebody, oh, here's a CD, it's good. No, you make it part of your day. Five minutes a day, ten minutes a day, an hour a day, it's part of your day. Osek batorah, it doesn't in the Torah... It says, how are you going to be saved from Chavle Mashiach? How are you going to be saved from the growing pains of Mashiach? The birth pains of Mashiach. How are you going to be saved? They asked the rabbi of Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Eliezer ben Olkenos. They asked him how. He says, Torah u'gmilut chasadim. Torah, we know obviously, is fulfilling the Torah. Gmilut chasadim means overwhelming kindness. But so they asked, what does it mean by uh, this overwhelming kindness? He says, to make Torah your business. Why, going to the Kiruv business? No, not necessarily. Just make it part of your life. Make this overwhelming kindness part of your day-to-day life like it is a business. How? You're spending every day, five minutes, ten minutes, an hour a day doing Kiruv. And if you don't have the time because you're so busy learning, you're so busy doing, you're so busy doing other things, fine, then you invest an extra amount of money that's worth an X amount of time. Now you can't tell me, I'm so busy now, I don't have any money. What are you busy doing then? If you're busy using it, you're busy making money. So use that money. It takes you, I don't know, an hour to make $500. Okay, so spend. is an hour for this week. An hour for this month, I'm going to spend on Kiruv. Here's 500 bucks. If it takes you, uh, I don't know, an hour to make $50. Okay, is an hour for this week. $50, yeah, for this week. That's what I'm going to spend. I'm going to invest. The point is you're investing time, one way or another. That's why it says, Osek Batorah. Osek Batorah meaning making Torah your business. 
Because that, the Rambam and Tiferet Israel both say will keep you away from sinning. While you don't know everything, of course you're still obligated to learn. Of course you're still obligated to do. But the only way you're going to limit your mistakes while you're learning and while you're doing all the things you know how to do and not doing the things that you don't know how to do is by getting other people to do it. Because if you get other people to fulfill mitzvot, then you're putting a special shield on you. And the Gemara says, in Masechet Yoma, that the reason why there's a divine protection from sin is because it would be inconceivable, in so many words, unfair, unjust, for Hashem Barach to have the person that led many people into Gan Eden spend any time in Geinom. Says, if you're doing Kiruv, you're getting people, where are you getting people? You're getting people out of Geinom. Right now, their way, their direction, they're definitely going to Geinom. They make Chalit Shabbat, they, they tell all this stuff. They're making all the sins in the world. You tell them again, no, no, here's a CD. The guy says, oh, okay, he listens to it. Next thing you know, the guy's keeping Shabbat. Next thing you know, the guy's wearing tzitzit. Next thing you know, he says a kippah. Next thing you know, he's divorced the goya. He married a kosher woman. Next thing you know, she's putting kisui on. Next thing you know, this all this people are going. Now they're going to go to Gan Eden. Not only him, his wife, his kids, his cousin, his aunt, his this. It's influences. So the Torah says, the Gemara says, it's inconceivable for the students to go to Gan Eden and their teachers spend any time in Gainum. Why? Number one, they will not be able to enjoy Gan Eden if the one that got them there is in Gainum. Because that's a suffering for them. They're still connected to him. Why? Because according to Avot de Rabbi Natan, Avot de Rabbi Natan says, if you make somebody religious, you created him. Like, as if God created man, you created this person. Why? Because until he actually did Shuva, he was considered a shy, he was like a dead person. Once I have a worship, thank you. Once, once you've actually got him to do tshuva, you've actually brought him back to life. So it's inconceivable for the person that said that's in essence you're his abba, you're his ima, and he's now in Gan Eden, but his abba and ima in Gainom. Hashem what kind of crying? We think Hashem wants crying people in Gan Eden. It's going to ruin the whole thing. It's going to ruin the whole thing. He's like, oh, my abba is in Gainom. Why is your abba in Gainom? No, because one time he did this and he did this. No. So that's already one thing that saves us. That's already one thing that saves us, that Hashem does not want the students that go to Gan Eden to suffer, that they're teachers in Gainom. Now where do they get this from? David Melech writes in Psalms, Tehilim 16.10, you will not abandon my soul to the lower world, nor allow my devout ones to witness destruction. He's saying to Hashem, you're not going to abandon my soul to go to Gainom, to go to the lower world. Why? Not because I'm such a tzaddik. Because you will not allow your devout ones, your what, your balet tshuva, all the ones that did tshuva, you're not going to allow them to witness destruction. Whose destruction? My destruction. Why? Because I got them to do tshuva. 
all the devout ones, all the tzaddikid, all the ganedin, all the good ones, you're not going to allow them to, to suffer. Why? Because me being a gay is not good for you. David Melech. God will not allow him to suffer the punishments of Gehenom, the Tosfot Yom Tov says. Tosfot Yom Tov says, God will not allow a person to suffer the punishment of Gehenom, the suffering of Gehenom. Not only for his own sake, but in order to prevent his disciples from witnessing the spiritual destruction of their mentor. Notice how Tosfot Yom Tov doesn't say the embarrassment of Gehenom or the cleaning and washing machine of Gehenom, or the uncomfortableness of Gehenom. No, he says suffering. Why? Because Gehenom is suffering. It's not a pleasant place like some of these uh, so-called rabbis like to do. In the last uh, two weeks, I got three or four lectures of three or four different heretics that decided to take on themselves the big task of making a short video about Gehenom. Every single one of them is heresy. One guy says it's a washing machine. One guy says, no, it's just a feeling that you're away from God. The guy is atheist. He's already happy with being away from God. No, Gehenom is just a washing machine. It's uncomfortable, but it's, it's, it's good for you. Oh, so you're going to go there then? After that speech, for sure. All types of nonsense. I don't understand. Why even bother? Just skip the subject. Why lie? Why lie? I don't understand. I don't, I, I don't understand the mentality. Okay, it's an uncomfortable subject. You don't want to talk about it. You don't want to talk about fires and people suffering. I get it. It's not comfortable. I remember when I studied the subject, I started crying. It's not a comfortable subject. It's not a, especially if you understand that it's actually real. Okay, you don't want to talk about it. You don't want to learn it. Fine. Why talk? Why lie about it? I just don't get. It. I don't get the mentality. Because the reason is. Once you've actually made one of these lectures, one of these videos, or even if you just told your friend, nah, Gano, you have nothing to worry about. I heard this guy say that it's, it's, it's all, it's nothing, it's not real. You officially became a machtia rabim. You officially became someone that the opposite of Kiruv. Why? Because it immediately tells the person that's sinning or wants to sin, eh, it's fine to sin, nothing's going to happen anyway. Nothing's going to happen anyway, so what's the problem? If there's no fire, there's no this, there's no that, then why not sin? Why even be religious? Why keep shepherd? Why do anything? Custom? You keep the custom. I'll watch you. Why, why do it? If there's no Gainum, there's no Judaism. That's what we don't understand. Like this fire right now is telling me there's Gainum. See, guys, tell him, tell him. Fires, man, when's the last time you heard fire make noise? Of course it agrees. It says that. Give him, I'm, I'm giving you proofs. Giving you proofs. Fire is making noise. Shem Yachim. Tosfot Yom Tov says he does, doesn't want, Hashem doesn't want people to suffer the punishments of Gainom. So the way to protect him from it is by doing Kiruv. Rabbeinu Yonah Says this is actually an application of the Mishnah that we actually did a few months ago, where we learned a mitzvah goreret mitzvah that one mitzvah leads to another mitzvah, because one who acts as a catalyst for increased fulfillment of God's will, meaning a person that causes other people to do mitzvot, is rewarded with a continual opportunity 
to fulfill mitzvah of himself. Which mitzvah? Fearing God. Notice he doesn't say loving God. Notice Rabbeinu Yonah doesn't say, oh yeah, you'll have more emunah. Or you'll have uh, more uh, loving God. No, it says, if you're doing kiruv, that means you're going to be rewarded with the ability to actually have real yirat shamayim. Why? Because the only real reason, the only real reason why your kiruv will actually work is if you have fear of Hashem. It's the only reason. Loving Hashem will not be enough. Loving Hashem will not be enough. One, because loving Hashem is impossible without fearing Hashem. So all of those people that say, no, no, I love Hashem, I love Hashem, I love Hashem, I don't really want to be scared of Him, that's just fake love. That's like saying, I love you, you love your wife while you cheat on her. You love your job while you're looking for a different opportunity. You love a lot of things, but uh, until it doesn't meet your uh, commands. It's fake love. Loving Hashem does not exist without fearing Hashem. That's number one. Number two, number two, is that the only reason you're going to continuously do kiruv and get other people to do tshuva is because you're scared for them. You're scared for other people to be punished. Because you understand, even if you don't know all the details of Gainom and all that stuff, you understand punishment. Everybody understands punishment. Everyone, even a six-year-old that had normal education, understands that punishment means no good. They don't need to know the details. Everybody knows punishment, no good. I know that any time my little daughter tells she's three years old, Baruch Hashem, any time she starts making a little extra noise, my wife says, you want to be punished? No, no punishment. Soldier. She doesn't know what punishment is. Baruch Hashem, there's no, no reason. There's no punishment? No. Oh, it's quiet. Little soldier. Tzadika. Why? She doesn't want punishment. She's three. So everybody knows punishment is no good. So a person that's going to do kiruv on a regular basis doesn't necessarily need to know the entire Torah. Doesn't necessarily need to know the entire details of Masechet Geinom. He just knows that in Judaism there's 13 principles of faith. And one of them says, Hashem rewards the tzadikim and punishes the reshaim. There is a reward and punishment. That is a foundation of Judaism. If you don't believe it, according to our Torah, you are kofir Torah. Your Judaism is officially on suspension. You are not allowed to be counted in Minyan. You're not allowed to be a witness in a Jewish event. You're not allowed to, we're not allowed to learn anything from you. If you do not believe in reward and punishment, you're kofil. So this is a principle that all of us, Baruch Hashem, believe in. All the people that are watching believe in. If you don't believe in, then you need to stop believing in it. Because that is Judaism. Judaism without reward and punishment is not Judaism. It's Christianity. It's a different religion. Their religion... Their Abu Zarah of Christianity believes that we're all going to sin anyway, but some idiot died 2,000 years ago, so it's okay for us to continue sinning. You can murder, you can kill, you can rape, you can hunt, you can this, you can do everything. God, because some moron died 2,000 years ago against his own will. And that's, uh, that's uh, covering us, that's good for us, because he died. So you can rape and you can kill, and you're going to sin anyway, so what's the point? It's mamash. It's like nonsense to the tenth million power. It's unbelievable how people actually believe this stuff. It's unbelievable to me. 
just the last couple of days, I, I, I watched a couple of things of these televangelists. You guys ever hear of these people, televangelists? Televangelists, not to spend more than a minute and a half on this, televangelists are these people that are like pastors and priests and so on, that are leaders of these avodazara, these churches, but they're mega churches. Mega churches mean they have 15, 20, 30, 50, 100,000 members. Imagine a stadium full of people. And these televangelists give them some nonsensical speech that they're all great and all wonderful and so on, just give me money. Give me money. And there's this report that they did, this investigative report of how these televangelists, so-called holy people, are the biggest reshaim in the world, biggest, most evil people on planet Earth. They take advantage of the poor, the sick, and the stupid. They take every penny from them even if it, they convinced them to borrow money, like, go, you don't have any money? Oh, you want to have money? Go borrow on your credit card, give it to me. Pl- you know, plant the seed, and God will wipe your uh, credit card debt away. And, and people believe this stuff. No, if you borrow $1,000, you're going to have $1,000 more debt. Plus interest. Like, it, it's, but, people, but people believe this stuff. They tell them to go borrow money. They tell them to give them everything they have. Oh, you only have $1,000. You want to buy a house? Ah, you can't buy a house with $1,000 anyway. Might as well plant it. And God will reward you. Like, who says this stuff? Apparently a lot of them. And they are—they get so much money. They had one guy that actually makes a half a million dollars a week. A week! $500,000 a week he makes. Just from the stuff they put in the little basket. It's not really so little anymore. It's a, it's a crane needs to pick it. A half a million dollars a week. Why? Because people are fools. And they're always looking for shortcuts. Because they want to continue. They want to continue sinning. And they want justification for it. Oh, this guy that speaks well. This, uh, this slick tongue that he has. He says, I'm good. If I give him money, psh, great. I'm going to rape this guy next to me about five minutes after I give him money. And this guy, he looked at me. I'm going to kill him too, so I'm just going to get double. Like, it's the stupidest thing in the world, but people, you're talking about billions of people falling for this. No, it's not even millions. Billions of people falling for this. It's unbelievable. Why? Because we're looking for shortcuts. We're looking for ways to continue justifying our sins. So... Our Torah constantly tells us there's no way to justify your sin. There's no mitzvah, you're not even allowed to make a mitzvah if it's going to cause you to make a sin. Even a mitzvah, you're not allowed to fulfill if it's going to come in the way of an avera, of a sin. You're not allowed. So then you're going to say to me, wait a minute, but uh, on Shabbat, you're allowed to uh, drive on Shabbat if you're taking somebody to a hospital. So isn't that saving his life, isn't that making a sin? No. Why is it not making a sin? Because pikuach nefesh puts Shabbat on hold. You have to save his life. Meaning that you driving on Shabbat to drive him to the hospital is actually a mitzvah. It's not an avera anymore. But if you're driving to the Beknesset, then it's an avera. If you're driving back home from the, from, the, from the hospital, then it's an avera. But if you're driving him to the actual hospital, you're the ambulance pretty much, then it's a mitzvah. There's no sin here. Anything else, you're not allowed to make even a mitzvah if it's going to cause you to sin. Even to honor Hashem, you're not allowed to make a sin doing it. So, why? 
Because sins have a very, very deep price. And our religion, our Torah, teaches us explicitly, stay away from it. Why? Because there's reward and there's punishment. And it's important for every little kid that's six years old to know. Every six-year-old in the world needs to know that there's a reward and punishment. If your six-year-old does not know that there's punishment, that God punishes, you are not educating your kid. If you're a six-year-old, I'm not talking about you grown-ups. You obviously know. If you still don't know by now, then we have to have a different shield for you. I'm talking about a six-year-old kid. If you're a six-year-old, does not understand the concept of heavenly punishment. Not that way he needs to know all the details or she needs to know all the details. But they need to know that God punishes if we don't do what he says. At six years old, if they don't know it, you are not a good parent. In fact, you're a terrible parent. Why? Because your six-year-old is eventually going to be an eight-year-old. And then nine year old, and then ten year old, and then twelve year old, and fifteen years old, and twenty years old, and he's gonna come to me like I did at thirty years old. And, oh, there's reward and punishment, really? Thirty years old, you show up to the Meknes, there's really reward, but he's really serious about that. I just thought that God loves everybody. Yes, he loves them until they become sinners. And then he says, I hate them. It a sub saniti. Vet Esav Saneti. Who's Esav? His father was the biggest rabbi in the world. Grandfather started Judaism. His brother is, was going to become the biggest rabbi in the world. Well, who's Esav? Until the age of 17, the Midrash says, until the age of 17, you could not tell the difference between Esav and Yaakov. Not just in looks. Until 17 years old, they were both in the yeshiva, both Tamidei Chachamim. Until 17 years old, Esav and Yaakov, best student in class. He wasn't like some uh, murderer at 12 years old killing cats for, for fun. No, at 17 years old, he had the beard, he had the stramel, and everything. It's like, this guy's going to be the biggest rabbi in the world. Who? That one. What, is that Yaakov? No, it's Esav. No, it's Yaakov. No, it's Esav. They looked exactly alike. They were both Tamid HaChamim, 17 years old. If Esav at 17 shows up to the world today, he's officially the biggest rabbi in the world at 17 years old. But then Esav didn't feel like keeping it anymore. Then Esav, who knew right and wrong and knew reward and punishment, said, it's not for me. And that's why Hashem says, et Esav saneti. Esav, I hate him. Why I hate him? There's a lot of sinners. There's Nebuchadnezzar who killed millions and millions of Jews. There's Paro who killed millions and millions of Jews. There's Haman who wanted to kill millions and millions of Jews. Not once did he say, I hate Paro. Not once did he say, I hate Nebuchadnezzar. Not once did he say he hates anyone else in the Torah. Except Esav. Why? Esav knew that there's reward and punishment, but still chose otherwise. Still chose to go against Hashem. Meaning that when a person knows you're not allowed to drive on Shabbat, but still drives on Shabbat, then you, my friend, are in a class of Esav. That's a dangerous class to be in. Because you can no longer claim, oh, no, no, God loves me. No, He doesn't. He writes about those people at the end of Parashat Vayetchanan, and he says, Meshalem el sonav el panav le'avido. He pays his haters cash to their face to destroy them. Who are these haters, the Gemara says? 
The ones that know it's a sin but still do it. So here we see that it's very dangerous to know it's not allowed and still do it. Because now you could potentially, not guaranteed, but potentially fall into a class of Esav. So how do we stay away from this? Our Torah says that one thing that's going to help us is this fear of heaven. How do we acquire this fear of heaven? One way, one trick, is to start doing Kiruv. Why? Because the only way you're going to continuously do Kiruv is because you understand the magnitude of punishment. You understand that there is something called punishment. Because doing Kiruv just because you like Hashem, doing Kiruv just because you like Jews, will not last. Maybe you do once, twice, three times, five times, ten times, a year, two years, but it won't last. Why? Because eventually they'll get on your nerves. Eventually you'll run out of time. Eventually you'll stop caring. Eventually the fire you have in you will die. It will not last. Just like the Mishnah says in Avot, Chokhmah, the Chokhmah of a person, the wisdom of a person will not last unless he has fear of Hashem. Same thing with Kiruv. It will not last unless you have fear of Hashem. How do you get this fear of Hashem? Is doing Kiruv. How do you how do you do Kiruv? The Rambam is also going to teach us that momentarily. But here we see a few things. We see that Hashem does not allow the people that do Kiruv to go to Geinom simply because He does not want their students to suffer. But this also explains another thing of why you see and explains that Tzadik Viralo Tovlo. There is a very famous question that even Moshe Rabbeinu asked. Why is there that there's righteous people that suffer and there's wicked people that prosper? Even Moshe Rabbeinu asked this question. Now the Gemara gives us several reasons. Several reasons why Hashem gives us suffering. One of the reasons is kaparat avonot. If the person made sins and Hashem wants uh, to for him to not go to Gainom because he's doing tshuva and he's doing good, he still has to pay for those sins. So how does he do it? He has to pay for them in his world. So he suffers in this world. This Mishnah actually explains it. Because when a person does kiruv, we just learned from the Gemara Masechet Yomah, page 87, that Hashem does not want him to go to Geinom. One of the reasons being because He doesn't want His students to suffer. So how does somebody that made sins in the past eliminate all the sins they made? Of course, okay, He's going to do tshuva, He's going to have mitzvot, He's going to have good things, great, good for you. But you still have sins in the bank. Like, it doesn't just go away. It's not a headache. It's there. They made You made them. You went to the strip club. You went and uh, played poker and you're not allowed. You went and you uh, violated Shabbat and you're not allowed. You went with the Goya and you're not allowed. You did stuff. It doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. It's still there. What do you do? Hashem says, Ah, perfect use for kaparat avonot. That's why sometimes, not all the times, not by default, but in my experience most times, the people that are very active in Kiruv have special, unique cases of kaparat avonot, special suffering. 
a little bit more extreme than the average. Why? Hashem says, I love you so much, you're bringing all my kids home. So I don't want you to spend a second, a second in gain home. A second even. I don't want you to spend in gain home. So what? I want to make sure to get rid of all those sins here. How? Kaparatavonot. Kaparatavonot. That's how it is. You get some kaparatavonot. Why? Because I love you. Because I love you, the Gemara Masech Brachot says. I love you so much, I don't want you to spend a second in Gehenom. Yeah, but it's so painful, Hashem. I feel like I'm on fire. I feel like I'm on fire sometimes. There's so much pain, I'm on fire. It hurts. Yeah, it hurts here for five minutes, for five hours, for five seconds, whatever. Much better than over there. Trust me, when you see it, you're going to say, thank you, Hashem, Shabbat Alad. When you see it from the outside, because you're not in it, you say, wow, Hashem, thank you. You love me so much. Just that now we're far away from it, Baruch Hashem, so we don't know, but we're not, that's why we're not saying thank you every day. So here we see something extraordinary, Rabotai, that sometimes you see a Mezakeh Rabim actually gets suffering, and that's actually a gift. It's a gift. It's actually a sign that Hashem loves you, and even more so that your actual tshuva is working. Bezat Hashem. And the gifts of Kaparat Avonot depends on how many Avonot we made. Sometimes tell God, thank you for making this fire, this hell here in this world, but please stop. Huh? That's because we don't understand what the Avonot are yet. No, because you want to do Zikrul Abim and you're just getting slapped and slapped in your face too much. If you're getting it, that means you can do it. Now, there's a couple of interesting things that you could also learn from this. Sometimes you see someone that calls themselves a Kiruv rabbi or a Kiruv organization, but they're prospering like nobody's business. But no one actually does tshuva. No one's doing tshuva. They open a Beknesset in every corner, like a Starbucks. They have money, they don't even know what to do with it. They're putting it as like wallpaper. People are donating enough money like it's a... But no one's actually doing tshuva. This is also actually a way to show how this Mishnah works. Because the fakers are not going to get this kaparat avonot. Why? Because no one's doing tshuva. So there's no, there's no genom to avoid. You're there. Kiruv doesn't happen without kaparat avonot. It's not an easy thing. Why? You're doing the most important thing in the world. Now the Chovot HaLevavot, 500 years ago, writes something that if you understood it and applied it to your life, everything will become secondary after this. If you really understood what this means. The Chovot HaLevavot, which many consider either the most important Musar book in history, or at least top three. Top three. The other two being Path of the Just, uh, which is a Meshit Mesirat Yesharim, and the other one being Reshit Chokhmah. Ochot Tzadikim is also up there, but those three are considered by most as the most critical. And the Chovot HaLevavot says that even if a person has Torah and mitzvot, like Moshe Rabbeinu. Meaning you can't get more than Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu went to Mount Sinai. 
Izapte. Chavuta Hashem. Chavuta Hashem. How long? 120 days. 120 days Chavuta on top of it for the next 40 years. Now, now, Chavot HaLevavot says that even if you go up and your Torah is excellent and your mitzvot are excellent, like Moshe Rabbeinu excellent, you will still never reach the level of a Mezakeh Rabin. You will still never reach the level of a Mezakeh Rabin. Average kid, 16, 17 years old, makes his uh, allowance money go to Kiruv CDs every week, and the rest of his time, he's spreading his uh, teachings of Torah everywhere. 16-year-old kid, bigger than Moshe Rabbeinu, he says. Why? Because Moshe Rabbeinu, mitzvot are good. Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu, is good. Problem is, it's only for you. Whereas the kid that's doing Kiruv at 16 years old, the guy that's making it his job to support Kiruv, the person that's involved in Kiruv, Osek Batorai, that's actually making it his day-to-day thing. Every day, his mitzvah never ends. Why? Let's say, for example, you took on the suggestion that my Rav said today. It was a very good suggestion. You know how you have, as a minag, in many bateknesit, to say alacha. Say two alachot between prayers, or at the end of the prayer. Sometimes it's between mincha and alvit, sometimes it's right before the end of shachrit. Different bateknesit have different minagim. Most places have something, but let's say they don't. If you now start promoting this, you say, listen, guys, Eliyahu Navi, Eliyahu Navi, no more, no less, said, if you say to Alachot, you have a share of the world to come. You get them to do it. They start doing to Alachot every day. To Alachot every day, they do it to Tefillah. Now, what happens here? They're going to do it. You've got 10 people to do to Alachot every day. Now you've learned to Alachot, they learned to Alachot. That means you learned 22 Alachot. Now they're not finished. Why? They're going to tell their wives. They're going to tell their kids. Also the two alachot. Now your two alachot turn into 44. Now what happens? They have a friend. They know he's also not doing it. They're going to tell him, your bregneset should also do two alachot. Next thing you know, you have another 10 people, another 20 people also doing two alachot. Now you have another 40, another 50, another 80. And it simply never ends. For what? For some that took you 37 seconds. Hey, by the way, you should do two alachot. Why? Eliyahu Wanabi said it. Finished. Every single person that will benefit from that, you now officially have something in account. It costs you zero. Such a cheap way to get an endless amount of mitzvot. Same thing I tell people also with regards to the CDs and the lectures. Why? You send a lecture to somebody. You give the CD to somebody. That somebody listens to it. He starts doing tshuva. Not the whole tshuva. He doesn't become Baba Sali. He doesn't become Moshe Rabbeinu. He starts keeping Shabbat. He puts on a tzitzit. She takes off the wig. Uh, they stop looking at women. All types of, whatever. They get chizuk on something. Every single time they benefit. They do it, you benefit. They get somebody else to do it, you benefit. They wipe every, every single second your mitzvot account goes up even when you're sleeping. That's why even your own Torah cannot compete with it. Even if your Torah is like Moshe Rabbeinu. Why? Because it's still limited with you. Now this also helps explain the Gemara in Masechet Brachot that says if a person sees that he has suffering in his life, he should look into his own actions. Why? We have a principle in our Torah 
that there's no suffering without sin. If you have suffering, there must be a sin. It could be a sin from this Gilgul, it could be a sin from the previous one, but nonetheless, there has to be a sin. But if he looks into his, into his actions, and he doesn't find one, he doesn't find a sin, he says, I keep Shabbat, I keep Tav Mishvachai, I keep Torah, I keep this, I keep this, I keep, I keep, I keep, I keep, I keep. Okay, I can't find anything. So Gemara says, oh, if he looked and he couldn't find, then he should say it's Bitul Torah. Meaning, he wasted time, valuable Torah time, Doing nonsense. Something that's not Torah. What's nonsense? He went to play baseball. He went to play poker. He went to play uh, with a video game. He went and uh, hung out with his friends smoking cigarettes outside just to see what's going on. What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? Everybody's, what's up? 15 hours later, what's up? You know what's up 15 hours ago, but what's up? And was, How are you doing? A little bit. She, she doesn't have enough time to make food for her kids, but she has 40 minutes to talk to her friend. So how are you doing? You heard 40 minutes ago I'm doing. So what's now? What happened? What did he say? 40-minute conversation you have, but to make your husband that worked all day food, you don't have. Everybody has time for all the nonsense in the world, but to, to actually do mitzvah, we don't have time. What's up, what's up? So now, after you finished all what's up, you realize this is bitul Torah. Why? You could have spent the what's up time learning Torah. You say the prayer for this, right? And before you learn Torah, can part of it, part of it. But now, so the Gemara says, if a person looks at his actions and he sees, I'm suffering, I'm suffering, I'm suffering, but I can't find a sin, even my sins are mitzvot. Ow! He says, oh, that's because, that's because I'm wasting time. So the Chida, the Chida says, what do you mean? If he looked at his actions... If he looked at his action and didn't find sin, he should say, he wasted time. What do you mean? If he looked at his actions, really looked at his actions, you would find out that he's wasting time. If he really looked at his actions, he would find he's wasting time. So how could it be that he looked at his actions and therefore he didn't find any sin? So you say, oh, he wasted, he made a sin by wasting time. It doesn't make any sense. How could it be Bitul Torah if he looked at his actions? So what does it really mean? What is the really pshat here? What's the real meaning of the bitul Torah? He says, if you looked at your, if you look at your actions, you're suffering right now. Shem Yachem, you're suffering. You're on fire. You're on fire right now. What's happening? Hashem, Shema, this. I did everything. I'm learning. I'm teaching. I'm everything. I'm still suffering. You're looking at your actions. What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? Okay, I did this. I did this. I did this. I did this. So, oh. Everything is good? Oh, so it's bitul Torah. What does it mean bitul Torah? It means that even your learning of Torah had to be put on the side to go teach Am Yisrael. You were supposed to levatel Torah. You were supposed to put your Torah learning on the side momentarily for an hour, for two hours, for three hours. Why? To go share it with Am Yisrael. That's why you're suffering because the Torah that you're learning, you're not teaching. And the Gemara in Masechet Abu Dazara says, if a person learns Torah with no intention of ever teaching, it's like he doesn't have a God. Why? Because the first thing you learn from the Torah is that Hashem is great. Hashem is good. Hashem only gives. And the first thing you want to do is emulate Hashem. You want to be like Hashem. Good like Hashem. So how could you be good like Hashem if you don't know how to share? 
A three-year-old knows how to share. How come you don't know how to share? So that's what the Chida gives the Chidush of a lifetime to understand each and every single Avrich in the world, each and every single person that knows even the basic Alakha, even if a person knows Parashat Shavua. Just knows Parashat Shavua, doesn't know that much. Share something. You don't have to give a whole lecture. Somebody sent a question in the last couple of days. In my opinion, it's a very silly question, even though there's no such thing as a stupid question. This one's silly. And the reason why is because it shows the ignorance of people. And they ask, why is it that women cannot be called a rabbi? This is a very common question that's been argued for during, during, our, during our generation. No, no, no. They want rabbi. Not rabbanit. It's like you call ish. So they ask, how come the woman can't be rabbi? So what, if you want to be conservative or reform? No, no, no. I want to be orthodox rabbi. It says, because the Gedolea says it's not allowed. Dolado says it's not mean Agisrael, it's not the way custom of Am Israel. You're not allowed to do it for many reasons. Part of the reasons is that modesty issues. You're not allowed to be a rabbi for modesty issues. A woman should not be teaching men. Another reason is because you're not allowed to read from the Torah. Again, for modesty issues. There's nothing wrong with the woman Shalom, But she's not obligated with the mitzvot. You cannot teach other people the mitzvot, you're not allowed obligated in. But I find it silly. I find the whole thing silly. Why do I find it silly? It's because the person that asked, that's asking, why can't I be called a rabbi, is obviously referring to themselves that they want to be a rabbi. Why else would you care? Why would you care about whether women can be rabbis or not if you don't think yourself that you want, you want to aspire to be a rabbi? Now here's the problem. That also means that you are not, even if it was allowed, you wouldn't be qualified anyway. Even if it was allowed, you wouldn't be qualified. Why? Because you don't know the simple meaning of the Hebrew language. Rabbi means male teacher. It's by default, means male teacher. It's a male. It's, a, it's referring to a male. So why would a woman want to be called a male teacher? If you want to be a teacher, teach. What do you need a title for? If, you, if it's really about teaching... Then, like you would do, like Kvodo says, be called a Rabbanit. Or, called nothing. If it's really about teaching, teach. What do you need a title for? What do you need a title for? If you see many of the people that have become relatively known, well-known speakers today, they're not even rabbis. But they still teach. Why? You don't need a title to be called a rabbi, to, to, to teach. So what does it really mean? If you want to be called a rabbi as a woman, it has nothing to do with being a rabbi. It has to do with your huge ego that you like a job title before you take the position. All it has to do with ego. That's all it is. It has to do with a midot crisis. You have bad midot, which also makes you not qualified as a rabbi, even if you are allowed to be. Why? Because the Gemara in Masechet Moed Katan, page 25b, says, a person that does not have good midot has midot mushchatot, meaning bad midot, you're not allowed to learn from them. Even if they're a male rabbi. Any question is? Your question? You're not asking, you're telling. Tell me, are, are women allowed to wear tefillin? You know it. God decided no. 
Bulia, the wife of Rabbi Meir Baal Nesh, used to wear tefillin. In that generation, there used to be ultra-righteous women that were just as great in wisdom of Torah. Some of them were as great as the Tanaim. So, if they want to fulfill the mitzvah that they're not obligated to do, no problem. We're not, we're not forbidding them from doing something they're allowed to do. But none of them called themselves rabbi. Bulia did not call herself rabbi. There are things that are allowed. There are things that are just simply stupid and not allowed. But people want to do it because they don't care about the mitzvah itself. They just care about their e- ego. This is the same thing with women of the wall. This, this, this irgun that's against the Torah. Reformed Jews, some of them are not even Jewish, that go to the Western Wall with mini skirts and tank tops, putting on tefillin to show everybody that women are able and are allowed to wear tefillin. And they have a scroll of Torah, and they show it to the public, and sometimes they steal the scroll of the Torah from the men. You know, it's a crazy, insane thing. But it also shows that they literally care less about the Torah, just about ego. It's an ego battle. So a woman of today is not allowed to wear tefillin. Why? Because she's not doing it for the right reason. You have plenty of mitzvot as a woman. You do not need to do the mitzvot of the men. That's really the reality. But the point is, if somebody's at such an elevated level, they've fulfilled all of their own uh, obligations. They're modest. They're this. They're this, They're doing everything they're supposed to do. And they still have enough time. They want to feeling. There's no problem with it. It's just that it's not, uh, it's not something that is obliga- obliga- obligatory. But if they want to do it at home, do it at home. No problem. There's no, it's not a sin. But to be called a male teacher? Why? This just shows that it has nothing to do with teaching. So we'll continue with what we're saying here. We see that even if a person is learning Torah, he's not allowed to learn it just for his own sake. He's not allowed to learn it just for his own sake. He must share it at some point. Obviously, he needs to learn enough in order to teach. He can't just start doing tshuva three months ago and start teaching. You have to know what you're talking about. You have to know how to read, you have to know how to understand, and so on and so forth. Because to get somebody to do tshuva is not easy work. Now what's the benefit of getting other people to do tshuva? There is a principle in our Torah that says, Gadola A person that influences another person to do a mitzvah, gets a bigger benefit in Shemaim, a bigger mitzvah in Shemaim than someone that actually does the mitzvah. Someone that says amen to your blessing is actually getting a bigger mitzvah than you that are doing the blessing. Someone that tells you, hey, did you do a prayer for that? Did you do a prayer for that? You eat the apple. Did you do a prayer for that? No. Okay, you did the prayer. He gets a bigger mitzvah than both of you. Did you do a prayer for that? You're about the, oh, apple. Did you do a prayer? No. You do it. He gets a bigger mitzvah than both of you. Why? He led you to do the mitzvah. A person that leads another person to do a mitzvah gets a bigger mitzvah than everyone. Rabbi Chia, the cousin of Rav and a student of Rebbe, was a Tana that got to a level where he could roam around Gan Eden, it was known to the Tanaim in this world, to their Ruach HaKodesh, that he got to such a high level in, in Gan Eden, that he could roam freely in all of the chambers, in all of the places, in all of the places, all over Gan Eden. Something that no one else could get to. Because everyone else, even the most righteous, need to have 
angels take him from place to place. Let's say you want to go from the first, uh, you want to go visit, uh, I don't know, uh, Rebbe. Okay, so you go to this level, to the seventh level. Okay, I want to go visit Rabbi Akiva. Okay, you go to this one. Okay, I want to go visit uh, Rabbi Chia. I want to visit this one. You go, you have to have angels take you there. You have to have angels take you there. Rabbi Chia got to a level he could just do by himself. So Gemara asks, how? His own rabbi, Rabbi Akadosh, Rabbi Akadosh, Rabbi Udanasi, that wrote the Mishnah, as, how could it be? He's my, he's my student. How did the student get higher than the rabbi? He started crying. How did the student get higher than the rabbi? He said, oh, he did Kiruv his whole life. He did Kiruv his whole life. When Rabbi Akadosh, Rabbi Udanasi, found out that's the trick, he went and started running in the middle of the street looking for secular people. To start doing Kiruv. He started looking for Bamesh. Just like the Zohar Kadosh says, if you knew the value of Kiruv, you'd start running around the street looking for people to do tshuva. It was written about Rebbe. He actually found the value, he understood what the value is of actually getting people to do tshuva. He literally stopped his kol, his yeshiva, yeshiva, his everything. He started looking for secular people. It's not like today where every person is secular. Back then you actually had to look for them. He went looking in the middle of the street looking for secular people, looking for people that need chizuk. Why? He found out what his student is doing in Shemaim. If you remember, I told you several times in the last few years, a very extraordinary pasuk, that for anyone that has certain problems in their life, certain things in their life, they have health issues, money issues, marriage issues, any issue, and they prayed until they're blue in the face. And they prayed until they ran out of tears. And they prayed until they ran out of words. And pursuit, it doesn't work. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is simply no. Now we learned on Sunday, if you remember, that the Gemara Masechet Moed Katan, page 18b, says, you shouldn't pray for specific things and tell Hashem what to do. Don't say, Hashem, I want that girl. Don't, want, don't pray to Hashem since I want a boy now, this year. People always say, oh, may you have a boy this year. But you have 16 kids this year. You have 16 kids. Let me have one at a time. You know what it is to change 16 diapers? No, but the point is people, people start telling Hashem what to do. Can you have a kid this year? And this year, you tell them what to do. What you should pray for? You should pray for Hashem. Hashem, please give me the best zivug. Not her. Whoever you think is the best. If she's the best zivug, her. If she's not, then whoever's the best zivug for me. Not, Hashem, give me a million dollars. No, Hashem, give me as much money as I need to do your will. Please stop with the magazine. You're driving me crazy. I don't care what you're looking at. It's bothering me. Please, yes. No, all of those things are, are, are general. Yeah, all of them are general. We're not asking specifically. We're asking for geula. We're asking for overall salvation. We're not saying, give me the salvation in the way that I dictate. 
you know, with a $3.2 million house and six cars and this and a big... No, we're just saying give us salvation. We're also not saying, Hashem, give us a refuah by curing this specific thing this week. Just refuah we're asking for. So we're asking for general things. Absolutely allowed and should ask for general things. What I'm saying, and the Gemara is saying actually, is that we shouldn't ask for specific things. And the reason why is because the Gemara says, Rava saw somebody in the shul that was crying. And he told him, why are you crying? He says, I'm praying for Hashem to give me this uh, woman as a zivug. Specific woman. And Rabbi told him, don't pray for that. Don't pray for a specific woman. Pray for a zivug. He goes, no, 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 Rabbi, I'd rather die than not have her. I couldn't live if I saw with somebody else. Rabbi says, you're going to regret it. Don't do it. He continued. A year later, Rabbi comes back to the same synagogue and he sees the same guy crying. He says, you're still crying about the same girl? He goes, no, Kvodarav. You're never going to believe it. We got married. He goes, okay, so why are you crying? Because now I'm crying to Hashem to either kill her or kill me. He says, that's why our Torah tells us, don't tell Hashem what to do. Don't tell Hashem what to do. So you want to pray for Zivug? Pray for Zivug. You want to pray for Parnassah? Pray for Parnassah. But don't tell Hashem how to do it. Because one of the principles of the Torah that even Bil'am Rasha, Bil'am Rasha knew, is that Hashem doesn't think like us. Hashem says, Machshevotai lo Machshevotechem. I don't think like you. If you're giving Hashem a specific way to give you your salvation, by default it's not going to happen. And if it happens, it's not a good sign. It's probably not your salvation, is the hint. I.e., it's not your salvation. So, we're not supposed to tell Hashem what to do. You want to ask for salvation? No problem. You want to ask for cure? No problem. But don't tell Him what to do. Why? He's the boss. Now, sometimes you're going to ask for salvation, you can ask for a cure, you can ask for a zivug, you can ask for panasa, you can ask for certain things, and nothing happens. Not the good one, not the bad one, not the mediocre, nothing happens. It's like you're praying to a wall and no one's answering. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it's because the answer is no. Shlomo Amelech prayed to Hashem and said, Hashem, please don't answer their prayers if what they're praying for is bad for them. Sometimes we pray for stuff that's bad for us. Sometimes we pray for things that are bad for us. In fact, most of the times we're praying for things that are not so good for us. Because we don't really know the definition of good without having da Torah. So Shlomo Amela says, please Hashem, don't give it to them if it's bad for them. Or at least don't answer their prayers. So sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes we didn't pray enough. Moshe Rabbeinu prayed 515 times. We learned from Parashat Vayet Hanan to have Hashem allow him to go into Eretz Yisrael. And Hashem said, Rav Lach. Hashem said, Rav Lach, enough, Moshe. Enough. No. No more prayers. Why? If you pray 516 times, I'm going to have to answer you yes. And I don't want to let you in. For countless reasons. Okay. The answer is no. But it means that it could have been yes if he prayed more times. And Moshe says, oh, if your will is to say no, then your will is my will. Then I'll stop praying. That's Moshe. Us, we're definitely 516. Oh, one more, for sure. 
I'll figure it out, Hashem. I'll, we'll do something. Kombina. So we see here that sometimes we don't pray enough, sometimes the answer is no. But how do we, what's, what's, a, what's, a, what's a secret? What's a secret that we can get our prayers answered? Hashem says to the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 15, verse 19, Therefore, thus said Hashem, If you repent, I will bring you back, let you stand before me. If you bring forth an honorable person from a glutton, then you will be like my own mouth. Hashem says to the prophet Jeremiah, the secret of all secrets for prayer. He says, if you do tshuva, you should know, the sharet tshuva are open for everyone. Everyone can do tshuva. Even the people that classify as people that do not have the ability to do tshuva, all it means is that Hashem is not going to help them. They can do tshuva, but they're not going to get the divine assistance that the average person will get. Even a Rasha Merusha like Menashe was able to do tshuva, even though he's a murderer, a rapist, a pedophile, and everything in between, he still was able to do tshuva. And now, the Gemara in Maseret Sanhedrin, page 98, that has a debate of whether Menashe has a share in the world to come, if you go to the Yerushalmi, Maseret Sanhedrin, Perik Chelek, says that not only does uh, Menashe have a share of the world to come, but he's actually sitting as the king of the Baalei Tshuva in Gan Eden. Not only has a share of the world to come, he's the king of the Baalei Tshuva in Gan Eden. Meaning that even Menashe, that murdered the prophet Isaiah, his grandfather, cut him into little pieces. Prophet Isaiah was running away from him, did use the holy word, holy uh, name for Hashem, to hide inside a tree. Menashe found out and chopped down the tree into pieces with his grandfather inside it. Such hate he had for Torah and Mitzvot. He was able, killing one of the most important prophets that ever lived, Isaiah, Prophet Isaiah, there's a whole book, Prophet Isaiah. He murdered him, but he was able to do tshuva. So the Prophet Jeremiah says, if you want to do tshuva, you can be like Menashe. How? I'll let you stand before me. Meaning, I'll treat you like you never sinned before. You did tshuva? Come. Don't think that if you do tshuva, you're like a uh, second grade citizen. Oh yeah, this is like, uh, this is the tzaddikim, and this is the, you know, bala tshuva section over there. You know, it's, you know like the uh, Americans used to the, treat the black people. You know, that's the section, that's the back of the bus. You know, it's the back of the bus over there. Yeah, yeah, those people. Yeah, yeah, those. They, they don't have any rights. You know, they're women. They're blacks. There is. Yeah, they're married. That's what they did. All the nice Americans, that's what they did to them. That's what they did. They did. So, that's not how it works in Shemaim. In Shemaim, Hashem says, you do tshuva. Not only, there's no separation. You stand next to Hashem, meaning, you're at first grade. And that's where the Gemara says, Makom omdim, a place that the Ba'alei tshuva stand, even the people that were righteous from the beginning, from birth, cannot get to. Meaning they're the highest level of high. Hashem says, you stand next to me right here. 
Right next to a shiva. It doesn't get better than that. So now, he continues, and if you bring somebody to do tshuva, you bring an honorable person, yakar, mizolel, you bring a yakar, you make somebody that used to be a glutton, used to be a sinner, you make him into something called yakar. Yakar means a bal tshuva. Then you will be like my own mouth. So Rashi says on the place, where, what does it mean you'll be like my own mouth? He says that just like Hashem created the world's world with words, so will you. You will say, Hashem will fulfill. To such an extent that Avot Rabinatan says that when a person does kiruv and he gets people to do tshuva, even if Hashem passed a decree, a negative decree, chas v'shalom. Some negative decree, person has cancer, person has, uh, you know, lost money, person has uh, no zivug, was decreed in Shammai, no zivug, and so on and so forth. If the kiruv person prayers, prays for that person, he could change the decree. Why? Hashem says, you'll be like my mouth. I count you like me. Why? Because now, you're doing what I do. You create. I created men. Once they fell off, they're considered dead. You brought them back to life. You brought them back to life, you're just like me. And that's why, there was a famous story with Rabbi Alava Shalom, who was very particular with his time. One time, someone came to visit him, and he, sta- he, he sat with him for a while, much longer than usual. His gabai came up to him and told him, Kvodarab, they're waiting for you to pray for Mincha. And Rabbi didn't respond. Didn't respond. Continued talking for another 15 minutes, 20 minutes, much, much longer than he would do typically with anybody else, even big rabbis. After a while, the, the prayer was already delayed. The Kvod Arav were, were waiting. Ovaya says, you see him? He's a Mezakeh Rabim. He gets people to do tshuva. In Shemaim, he's considered the star. So they could wait. Different league. Different person. Why? He gets Hashem's children... To come back home. It's like someone lost something and you brought it back to him. If that something is a little jewel, okay, so you got the jewel back. If that something is a wallet, okay, so you got the wallet back. But what if it's his last son? It's his only son? Hashem treats every single one of us like we're the only son. We're the only daughter. And that's why this woman that sent me a text just the other day, she told me that the Biknesa that she was in had a huge argument. Unfortunately, this is very common today. A few guys that finance the Biknesset feel like their IQ went up with their money. So they decide that they could spend their Shabbat instead of talking about Torah and mitzvot and zikwe rabim and all the good things in life, they should talk about nonsense. And they should talk about it like you talk about it in the market with the goyim. And yelling and screaming and arguing and cursing. 
And for whatever reason or another, the rabbi didn't speak up. So she did. She spoke up against it. And they started cursing her like they, she was part of the market. I think one of them even wanted to hit her. So she asked me, what do I think? I told her you shouldn't speak. You shouldn't have spoken. The fact that they're all dogs and they're all treating the Bikneset like it's a supermarket, like it's a market, like it's a place full of Arabs, that's their own sin. But you have no right to speak up against it. Why? It's not modest. It's not modest for a princess, the daughter of the king of kings, to speak to the farmers that are cleaning the poop of the horses. If you speak like in a market, in a bit Knesset, you're no better than somebody that cleans poop. You're no better than an Arab. You're no better than an idol worshiper. You're not considered a Jew. So for a Bat Israel, for a princess, the daughter of the king of kings, to talk to you even, for what? It's immodest. It's inappropriate. Even if what she says is right, it's irrelevant. The princess doesn't talk to the slave. So these are things that even though it makes sense that we should speak up, speaking up is not always the right thing at all times. And Kiruv requires us to speak up. A person needs to know the rules of speaking up. Who, what, when, and how. But here we learn that if you've spoken up at some point and let other person to do tshuva, Hashem says your prayer has VIP treatment. You prayed for a zivug, you prayed for parnasah, you prayed for a cure for AIDS, an incurable disease supposedly. Hashem says I could change the world for you. Why? You're bringing my kids back home. Different rules apply to you. Now, the question that there is about the story of Menashe is extraordinary because originally Menashe was not supposed to be. The king Chizkiyahu, the Gemara in Moed Katan says, was the equivalent of a Sefer Torah. They buried him with a Sefer Torah. Only person that they did it with in history. They buried him, Chizkiyahu, the king, with a Sefer Torah. Why? They said him and a Sefer Torah, same thing. Chizkiyahu, Sefer Torah, same thing. Same thing. Now Chizkiyahu, the Gemara says that Hashem thought about bringing the Mashiach. He says, I'm going to bring the Mashiach, it's going to be Chizkiyahu. He's going to be Mashiach. Meaning it was decided in Shemaim that Chizkiyahu is going to be Mashiach. But then he didn't sing to Hashem like David HaMelech, his grandfather. And the Yetzirah says, no Hashem, he didn't even do what David HaMelech did. So if David HaMelech was the Mashiach, then Chizkiyahu can't be Mashiach. If he didn't sing for you, 
you didn't do at least as enough of somebody that did something for you. That was just as righteous. Or even more so. So, okay, you can't be Mashiach. But here at least we see how righteous Chizkiyahu was. But one time Chizkiyahu saw in Ruach HaKodesh, saw in prophecy, that if he gets married and has a kid, his kid is going to be Menashe. Menashe will become a king after him. And officially the worst sinner of Am Yisrael. He'll bring idols to Bet HaMikdash. He'll get other people to idol worship. He'll rape his sister. He'll rape his mother. He'll kill his grandfather. He'll do every sin you can possibly imagine. Mamash, Rasha, Merusha. Chizkiyahu says, all my life, I've spent on Kvod Hashem. He put a sword in the ground. He says, whoever doesn't study Torah is going to deal with the sword. To such an extent that even the babies knew the entire Mishnah by heart. The babies. Little kids. Five-year-old kids. Knew the entire Mishnah by heart. Everyone knew Torah. No one went to the army. No army. When the enemy came to kill them, Chizkiyahu says, okay, good night, I'm going to sleep. The enemy is at the, at the gate. They have 180,000 uh, chambers of command and, and so on. So it's, what? He goes, I did my, I did my best. What would you do? I studied a little bit today. Yeah, but there's uh, 180,000 soldiers right in the gate. Another 100 million over there. Millions and millions of soldiers. They're coming to kill you. If they spit, you drown. Because yeah, I did it. I did my salute. What would you do? I, I learned. I did Masachat Shabbat. Masechet Shabbat, a little bit of Tosfot. I did what I was supposed to. I'm going to sleep. Good night. I got to wake up in a few hours to go back to studying. At night, Hashem says, Malach Gavriel, Malach Gavriel killed all of them. Why? He did Ishtad Lut. What Ishtad Lut? He learned Torah. Here you see how righteous somebody is and how Hashem is fulfilling His will. But one time... He saw in prophecy that his son is going to be a rasha. He says, you know what? I'm not going to get married. I'm not going to have kids. If I get married, then I have to have kids. So what's the solution? Don't get married. Hashem sent him the prophet. And the prophet says, tomorrow you're going to die. Me? Die? Why? Because Hashem says you have no share of the world to come. What? Okay, die is one thing. Maybe my time is over. But on top of it, I'm being judged like a rasha, like a mechalel shabbat, like an idol worshiper. Why? He says, because you didn't get married. Yeah, but I didn't get married for Hashem. I know in my prophecy that Hashem gave me that if I get married, I'm going to have a kid. The kid's going to be Menashe. The guy's got the biggest criminal in the world. Why should I bring such a person to go dishonor Hashem? He's going to bring idols to the world. The prophet says to him, did Hashem tell you to do his math for him? Does he need you to do his math for him, his calculations for him? Did Hashem ask you, please do me a favor, I gave you Wach HaKodesh to go see the future so you can do the calculations for me. Of whether to get married or not get married. Did I ask you for that? Does he need your help? What mitzvah did he tell you? Get married. What are you doing? You didn't get married. Tomorrow you're going to die. Well, no, no, I'll get married, I'll get married. I'll marry your daughter. Oh, okay, fine. He goes to Hashem, Hashem, okay, no, no, he's tzaddik. Give him another chance. He got married thinking he's going to get married to Isaiah's daughter. He got married to Isaiah's daughter, the prophet's daughter. He figured, okay, we have a better chance. The prophet, Kodesh Kodeshim, Sefer Torah, I'm going to marry him. 
Greatest thing in the world, no? Her. Greatest thing in the world. Maybe I better change. Maybe the prophecy will change. No. What happens? Menashe comes out. Now here's the question. Here's the question, Rabotai. The question is this. Chizkiyahu had Ruach HaKodesh. In, with the Ruach HaKodesh, he saw clearly that his son is going to be Menashe. Right? That's why he didn't want to get married. So the Chachamim asked the question. Wait a minute. If he saw Menashe, is going to be the one that's born. Why didn't he see that Menashe will also do tshuva? Because at the end, Menashe did tshuva. So what is it, like a 50% uh, Ruach HaKodesh? It's a Ruach HaKodesh that's like uh, with an off button? It's a Ruach HaKodesh discount? What's the answer? Anyone want to dare? Everything is free choice. He's able to see there's a prophet. Said there, but it's nonetheless everything else before it. And be, having a kid, not having a kid, all of it is free choice. It has to do. Walk a kodesh allows you to see the future. You're both in the right direction. Rabbi Yonatan Ibishitz, yeah. But said that, but he's not punishing me. He's just telling him, how come he couldn't see Menashe doing tshuva? If he saw the Menashe is going to be born, he saw the Menashe is going to be born, and he saw the Menashe was going to make sins. So he saw that Menashe's freedom of choice, free choice, whatever it is, he saw Menashe use this free choice to make sins. How come he couldn't see Menashe using his free choice to make tshuva? Doesn't make it. No, he made tshuva during his life. Fulfill, he fulfilled, repent after all that was left the world. But nonetheless, he could have seen him doing chatanu avinu pashanu, become a tzaddik, start learning Torah, everything else. No, the overall opinion, the Gemara Yerushalmi says that he did tshuva, and it's uh, the proof is, is that he has a share of the world to come, and he's actually the king in the uh, in the um, Gan Eden. So here's the answer. This answer I only heard today from my, uh, my Rabbi Ephraim. Hidush of Rabbi Yonatan Aibishitz. Rabbi Yonatan Aibishitz says the following. He says, to do tshuva, to do tshuva is so miraculous, it's so extraordinary, it's so amazing, it changes so many worlds and so many fortunes and so many things in the world that it's even above and beyond Ruach HaKodesh. To do tshuva is even above and beyond Ruach HaKodesh to the extent that even Chizkiyahu with Ruach HaKodesh could not see it. Why? Because the tshuva changed so much in the world. A person's tshuva, your tshuva, my tshuva, any person's tshuva, Menashe's tshuva, Changes so much, even Ruach HaKodesh cannot see it. That's how big tshuva is in Shemaim. Why? Because when a person does tshuva, he's literally changing the world. Hashem has to restructure the entire... If you make a sin, nothing changes. Why? The world is full of sinners. You just made another sin. Okay, it's another right, it's another left, it's another right, it's another left. You just fit in to the puzzle. 
But when a person does tshuva, he's going against nature. It's something miraculous. It's considered something supernatural. It's no less and quite greater than Kriyat Yamsuf. When Hashem split the ocean into 12, everything changed forever. Why? Because forever that had to become part, stamped into history. People, 3,300 years later, talk about it many, many times every single day, as a matter of fact, in our tefillah. Several million people mention Kriyat Yamsuf every single day forever. Why? Because Hashem split a bunch of water. That's it. He split a bunch of water. What's the big deal? He created the world. Isn't that bigger? Not everybody talks about creation every day. Hashem created the world. It's much bigger than splitting the ocean. But we don't talk about creation every day. At least not as many people. But everyone talks about Kirat Yamsuf. Why? It was supernatural. Even within the supernatural that he created, it was supernatural within the supernatural. So Hashem, in essence, has us talk about it every day, all the time. There's a whole holiday about it. another holiday about it. The whole thing we talk about, the whole religion is based on Kirat Yamsuf. Doing tshuva is even more. Average person, nobody knows who he is. He's not going to be a biggest rabbi in the world. He's not going to be nothing. Just an average Jew. Parents raised him secularly. He was eating little bunnies and turtles for, for, for fun in the morning. He was eating a pig for lunch. He was driving on Shabbat. He was eating on Yom Kippur. He was keeping nothing. One day he decides, I'm going to watch uh, Wall Street to the Western Wall. He does tshuva. Shtabach shimolai starts keeping Shabbat. Starts keeping everything else. His wife, his kids. Hashem says, that is supernatural. I have to change everything now. Much more than Kirat Yamsuf. Even Ruach HaKodesh couldn't see it. That's how big Tshuva is. That's how big Tshuva is. So here we see that Tshuva is a huge thing. And that's why Rashi says that when Hashem says, you'll be like my mouth, he says that when you get a person to do tshuva, your mouth will be like my mouth, and in certain cases, your mouth will be more than my mouth because you'll be able to override my own decrees. In the book of Daniel, chapter 12, verse 3, it says the wise will shine like the radiance of the firmament. Meaning the Tamidech HaChamim are going to be shiny in Shemaim, like the heavens. And those who teach righteousness to the multitudes, meaning those that teach people the basics of how to do tshuva, basics of musal, basics of mitzvot, get people to do tshuva. Those that get people to do kiruv, they will shine like the stars, forever and ever, even higher and even shinier than even the people that learn and teach basic Torah. Why? Because they're considered the stars. Midas Sifri says, what's the comparison of the sky to the stars? It says, just like the stars are higher than everything, the Kiruv people are above everything. And this is why it's considered the highest level of Gmilut Chasadim. 
the two requirements to be saved at the time of Mashiach is learning Torah and Gemilut Chasadim. Gemilut Chasadim meaning overwhelming kindness. The highest level of overwhelming kindness that you could actually have in this world is get a Ben or a Bat Israel to come back to Abba. Because even if you give the money to save their mortgage from going foreclosure, okay, so you give them a roof, good for you. Even if you give them food and you save their life, okay, so you save their physical life. But if they made sins, they're still going to gain them. Even if you, uh, you know, did all types of nice things to them, you gave them a right to work, but if they work at a uh, bar, it's not exactly going to help you. It's a, it's a sin. That's why, as a matter of fact, when they come to the big rabbis, the Gedolei Adol from previous generation, they told them, listen, this guy's in jail. There's a mitzvah in the Torah to free people from jail. Mitzvah in the Torah to free Jews from jail. The big rabbis in those days would ask, well, who's this guy? They would ask who the person is. They wouldn't just by default say, okay, give him the money, take him out. Say, so who's this guy? In one particular case, they asked the uh, rabbi, they asked him, who, uh, who's, who's this guy? Oh, is this guy, he's secular, he's this, he's that. He goes, does he keep tarat mishpacha? Does he keep family purity? He goes, no, no, he keeps nothing. All right, leave him there. Leave him in jail. Yeah, but he's a Jew. No, leave him in jail. It's better for him. Why? If he's in jail, he can't make the sin with his wife. If he's in jail, he's not able to be with his wife. Because every single time he's with his wife, just touching her finger, he's making a sin. Why? Because they're not going to the mikveh. It's better he stays in jail. That's the emit. As hard as it is. That's the emit. The other thing that a person needs to understand is that star looks small from afar. But the closer you get to the star, the bigger it really is. The Baalei Musa sees that say that our, our sins look like stars because we don't know how great our sins are. As soon as you get closer to them, you realize how much of the sin really is. Why? We don't think that us reading a magazine is such a big deal. But then somebody else is interested in the magazine. And they read the magazine. Then another person is reading a magazine. And next thing you know, there's 10, 15, 20 people reading a magazine instead of Sefer Torah. So you didn't think it was a big deal to read a magazine, but now 15 people, instead of learning Torah, they're reading a magazine too. It looked like a tiny little thing. It looked like a tiny little light in the sky. But then when you go up to Shemaim, they show you the whole thing of what just happened. Oh, they all read, 15 people read a magazine. One guy bought something from the magazine that's actually going to help him make sins. Then he made a sin. His wife made a sin. The kid made a sin. Everybody start, stopped keeping Shabbat. The kids started eating taref. They left the yeshiva. They got married to Goyot. Got married to Goyim. Next thing you know, wow, I read a magazine for five minutes. What's the big deal? Oh, big deal? Oh, look how many people are destroyed because of the magazine. It looked like a tiny little light. And you go up to Shemaim, they show you, ooh, what? This light. It's a planet. You just destroy the world. Why? I read a magazine. Yeah, I read a magazine. How's the magazine? Like it? Not so much. Bala Musal says that our sins look like tiny little lights, but in reality they're huge stars. But also the same token, they say that the Kiruv people look like tiny little lights, but in reality they're big stars. Why? Because the things that they do look like they're small, looks like it's easy, look like such an answer big deal. When you get up to Shamaim, you understand what Rabbi Akadosh understood about Rabbi Chia. He says, you get up to Shemaim, you heard about what happened to Rabbi Chia and how they treat him over there. He runs the show. 
He goes from Ganeden to Ganeden to Ganeden to Ganeden, does whatever he wants over there. Why? <laughs> They're all his students. They're all his students. So here, we see that the extraordinary ma'ala of actually doing kiruv, we see that there's an enormous amount of blessing that anyone that's looking for something in their life, and if they're not getting what they want, or even if they're getting what they want, but they want more, like most of us, the simple answer is, do kiruv. Do kiruv. Why? Because then you could be kipitiya. You could actually have a your mitzvah become something. Your prayer becomes something like God is praying. Now another thing that Rabbi Ephraim said that's actually brilliant that compares it to our world that we can understand. I remember there used to be. Uh, I think the, the show is still on. My uh, friend tells me about it once in a while. This show. Um, it's on CNBC where the guys buy a business. Shark Tank. Shark Tank. There's a show called Shark Tank. And uh, I remember when I was on Wall Street, I watched the show a few times. And I hated it back then. I think it was ridiculous because these people have no manners whatsoever and they insult everyone. But the show itself and the idea itself is brilliant. A bunch of guys with a bunch of money get an opportunity to uh, buy a business. But there was one particular guy that they called him Mr. Nice Guy. Wonderful. Mr. Wonderful. Yeah, he's the nastiest person on earth. So they call him the opposite, I guess. And, um, yeah, he tells people things like, you're dead to me. You're like, you're really nasty, awful things. And anyway, he, uh, he liked doing something, treating every deal that was actually he was interested in as if it was a patent. Why? He would want to get royalties. So he said, listen, I'm not really interested in your business, but I'll invest money into it. And all I want is 10 cents for every product that you sell. Or 20 cents, or 30 cents, or $1, or $2. For every product you sell, I just want $2 a product. No percentage in the company, just $2 per product. What is, he's, he's treating it as if it's a patent. And Rabbi Fahim says, Kiruv, is like the patent owner. Doing Kiruv is like the patent owner. Why? Because regardless of whether you continue staying teaching this person, or even if you stay in their life, once you gave them the CD, once you sent them the lecture on email, on text, on some telepathy, I don't care how you send it to them, they watched the lecture, they did tshuva, you never have to talk to them again for the rest of eternity. Anything that comes out of that person or anyone that did it as a result of that person will always go to your account. No matter, even if they become your enemy, even if they hate you, even if they don't, it doesn't make a difference. What, even if they say, no, no, uh, who is he? Who is he? I had like one student became a rabbi four years ago. Uh, they asked him, oh, you know, it's, uh, you're a rabbi now, you have a big neset. Oh, you want to have Rabbi Yaron uh, come speak? Who? Who is he? I, I think I heard of him. He wanted to be a murderer four years ago. Now he's a rabbi. He has a beknesset, but he forgot who he was. Baruch Hashem, it's good. Mommy, it's for me. The point is, Rabotai, such is the key of life. Yes, welcome. 
So anyway, the point is, Abutai, is that it doesn't make a difference. Why? Once you get a person to stop being a murderer, whether physically or spiritually, by making all these sins, you are like the patent owner. Every single mitzvah he does will always go to your account. Every single mitzvah, someone, let's say he gets married, his wife keeps mitzvah, goes to your account. His kids, goes to your account. His friends, his students, his colleagues, every single thing, you're the patent owner. You are the patent owner. So what do you care if he says he doesn't know you or knows you? It doesn't make a difference. You're getting rich. The fact that he's a loser is a different story, but that's because of our ego. That's only because of our ego. But as far as tachlis, bottom line, bank account's going up. Why? Do mitzvot. Do mitzvot. That's a cute person. You give him one CD. You give him one lecture. You invited him. You sent a link. Whatever it is, you benefit forever. And that's what the patent, the people that create patents, that's really what they want. That's really what they want. They don't really care about running the business. Most of them care less about business. They just care about this product. This product is their baby. So even if they sell the product to Pfizer or to Berkshire Hathaway or to GE or to Coca-Cola or to anything else, it doesn't really make a difference to them. Why? Because part of the deal, the only part of the deal they care about is every single time my patent will be used for eternity, I get five cents, two cents, ten cents, a dollar, two dollars, whatever the deal is. And that's in business. Eventually you die. So even if you got a zillion dollars out of it, you're dead. It's useless. But if you do Kiruv, even if you're dead, and 200 years have passed, it still helps you. Why? Because on Rosh Hashanah, Hashem opens the book of the living and the book of the dead. The ones that died, He reviews their year. What kind of mitzvot did you leave behind? How many people did tshuva and what's the result of it? Oh, you got 10 people to do tshuva while you are alive. Let's see what kind of results we have now, 200 years after you died. 10 people, they all got married, became 20. Those 20 had kids. Now we have 80. Those kids had grandkids. Oh, now we have 150. 200 years passed, you have 70, 80,000 people all doing Three, four, five hundred mitzvot a day. You're a billionaire. Every day. Hashem has to pay you in Gan Eden. Gan Eden has no limits. You are high. Ooh, you'll, see, you'll see how high you get next year. It'll look like you weren't even high before. That's the benefit. That's the dividend payment that Hashem gives to the queue of people. And that's why... It's the most profitable business in the world. We'll finish off with one story, and then we'll continue this Mishnah tomorrow. There was a person by the name of Helschel Friedman. Grew up in a religious family. Had a good brain on his shoulders. A couple of hundred years ago almost, 150 years ago. And... Uh, they thought this kid is going to be something special. He's going to be like the, re- the next Rabbi Akiva Eagle, which was the Gdola Do from the previous generation to that. This kid's brain was something like a superpower. Righteous, everything. Sometimes you could tell from kids, this one's special. Sometimes you know this one, not so special. It's like a golem, but he's cute though. He'll help the special one. But he's cute. Fine. That's why Hashem made kids cute. 
Because even if they're not so special, they're still cute. Still keep them. But anyway, so they saw this Hershel was special. This one's going to be something, something. But as the Satan, the Malach HaMavet, Yitzharah, he sees something special, he attacks himself. He sent them a little Esav friend. Esav started influencing him to do bad things. And before you know it, little Herschel is not little anymore. And now he wants to go to university. Now he wants to follow the instruction of the Askala at the time. The reform, the conservative. He has no interest in keeping Shabbat. He has no interest in keeping any mitzvot. Why? Torah is old-fashioned. You want to be something in the world, you have to go to university. You have to go to college. You know, in those days, college actually meant something. Not just a $200,000 bill. You want to be something, you go learn college. Torah is like old-fashioned. It's 3,000 years ago. It's nothing. His father was eating himself up. Had no idea what to do. The kid doesn't want to learn. You can't force him to learn. What, are you going to feed him the books? But he doesn't know what to do. So you tell him, listen, you only have one chance. Go to Rabbi Mordechai Meushimia. Rabbi Mordechai Meushimia maybe he can help you. So he went to Rabbi Mordechai Rabbi Mordechai tells him you have a tough situation but I got a solution for you. He says, for the next three weeks, don't give him a single rebuke. Not one. I don't care if he violates this, violates that. Don't make a difference. Don't say nothing. All you do is give him compliments. What? He said, you want it to work? You have to listen to me. Okay. Three weeks, the father is like barely making it. He wants to rip his kid's head off from all the sins that he's making. But what is he going to do? He's listening to the rabbi. Compliments, 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 compliments. After three weeks, he comes back. No. What do I do now? Now you rebuke him. He goes, no. Now we have to pick it up a notch. Now, you help him out a little bit. If he tells you he wants to go to college, say, okay, no problem. Make him coffee. Here, it's coffee. Let's talk about it. College? For the Arabs? It's heresy. It's... I don't know. I know. Tell him, I'll support you, I'll do it, no problem. And tell him, I'll even do better than college. I'll send you to a private tutor, we'll teach you everything. Okay. Two weeks passed, he gives him compliments, he makes the kid's uh, kid coffee, drink, dust. The kid thinks he's the king of the world right now. Oh yeah, I'll send you a private tutor. Wow, private tutor is even better than college. Great, amazing. Okay, fine. After two weeks, kid's like, I'm in, let's go. Where do I sign up? Father doesn't actually know yet. He goes back to the rabbi. He goes, okay, for the rabbi. He says, yes, where do I go? He goes, send them to me. He goes, no, he said, college. He goes, yes, send them to me. Rabbi says, we do. He sends the kid to Rabbi Mordechai. The kid comes. He's looking for a huge building with staff, with this. He sees a little shack. And he is, thinks it's the wrong address. He starts walking away. The rabbi comes. No, no, no. You're here. You're in the right place. You're right here. Come here, son. Come here, son. He goes, no, I was expecting a professor Someone that knows wisdom, someone that knows really things, the science and math and astrology, goes, I'll teach you everything. You? I'll teach you everything. 
Enjoy it. You have nothing to lose. You're already here. Okay. He sits down with him, and not a single word of Torah, not a single word of rebuke, and he starts teaching him day after day the seven wisdoms. Seven wisdoms are logic, math, Midot, which is character traits, science, astrology, music, and spirituality. Those are the seven wisdoms of the world. He teaches them each one of these things. Different secular people that have discussed, discussed them, whether it be Aristotle, or it be uh, Plato, or it be uh, Pluto, or uh, whatever it is. Whoever discussed it, he's showing it. The kid's amazed. Sees this guy, really knows the stuff, all the science, the math, genius, that. And then after they finish the whole lesson, each one, he shows, oh, by the way, and this is where it shows it in the Torah. Every single one of the wisdom, yeah, this guy talked about this Greek, this Roman, this, this guy, this, this guy, this Amalek, this is brother, whatever. All these guys talked about it, claimed it to themselves, but here it is in the Torah, 3,000 years before they existed. Here it is. After a while of this, the kid said, I really need to learn some Torah. If all of this is in a Torah, I really need to learn some Torah. She so started learning Torah. Started learning Torah, 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 Torah. And he says to, after a while now, he's learning Torah, now he's becoming Tamich Hacham again. Becoming something special. Hashem, learning all these wisdoms. I learned all of the Torah. Baruch Hashem, everything is good. But now I need to learn some Yirat Shemayim. I need to learn some Yirat Shemayim. What, what, what should I do? Yirat Shemayim, Musa, Oh, that? Go to Chafetz Chaim. Go to Chafetz Chaim. Go to Chafetz Chaim. Go to Go to him. Kid says, okay. Rabbi says, we do. He goes to the Chafetz Chaim with a letter from Rabbi Mordechai. Chafetz Chaim opens the letter Reads the letter and starts crying. Reads the letter of who this kid was and, ah, and everything that happened, and he starts crying. He says, I thought, Chavetz Chaim says, I thought I was in the same level of Rabbi Mordechai. But even now I can't get there. Even now I can't get there. Look at, look at, look at what he does. He stops learning his Torah to get a Ben Israel to come back home. How, I can't even get to such a level. And you know what he's doing? He's teaching him all this nonsense, all of this wisdom that people think is, belongs to the goyim and so on. He's actually, Mordechai is sacrificing his own olam Because he's not learning Torah now. He's learning this other stuff. He's sacrificing his own olam Why? To save one of Hashem's children. And you should all know, he says, that if Rabbi Mordechai would spend all of his time learning Torah, he would be bigger than the Gaon Mivilna. And he, in, in Torah, and in actual Mahasim and righteousness, he would be like an angel himself. Such is the neshama and the soul and the brain of Rabbi Mordechai. But I thought I was like him until now. Hafez so here we see that the tzaddikim understood the value of, of, of Kiruv. Not all of them were able to do it. Not all of them necessarily uh, did it to the same level, the same extent. 
But every single one of the G'dolei Adol did some part of it, contributed some part of it. It's a very famous story with the Baba Sali. Came up to Rav Nisim again and asked him, how much does it cost to get one Baal Tshuva? He goes, no, no, nothing. It's this. No, no, here. He gave him a thousand dollars. He goes, please give me one. Give me one Baal Tshuva. He gave, gave thousand dollars Baba Sali's time. is like, oh, ten thousand dollars today. He gives him a thousand dollars. Rav Nisim, please give me one. Give me one, let me contribute to one Baal Tshuva. The Baba Sali. Please give me one Baal Tshuva. That's a person who understands what Baal Tshuvas are. Because it's something miraculous. Bezat Hashem, tomorrow, we'll continue the Mishnah, we'll talk about how to do it. The rebuke. Rebuke is a very, I thought we were going to talk about it today, but there's just so much to say about the subject. We continue talking about just this part for a while. There's a lot to say about it. But tomorrow we'll talk about the rebuke aspect of it. What's allowed, what's not allowed, the rules. What's good, what's bad. Because many people come to me and they say, listen, I tried telling people what to do and then they backfired on me. So just because something is allowed to, to be done, it doesn't necessarily mean it's allowed for you. Just because it's allowed in one environment doesn't, doesn't mean it's allowed in every environment. You need to know the laws of rebuke. Just because I just told you a story of how somebody didn't use rebuke doesn't mean that you should do the same thing. You're not going to be Mordechai. So there's, role, there's, rules to, there's rules of how to do it and what to do it, but also you should know that the Rambam also says, in a chot tshuva, if you're, doing, if you're helping people do tshuva, it must be through rebuke. How you rebuke is a different story, but it must be through some form of rebuke, because rebuke is the only thing that's going to remind a person that they actually even have to do tshuva.